Hello, and welcome to an informal chat with Hayson Guadora, who is Chief Executive of SmartStream Technologies. My name is Victor Anderson. I'm Global Content Director for Waters Technology. As a bit of context for our listeners, this call was initially intended to be a video interview shot at our studio in London, but the COVID-19 outbreak put paid to that plan. So we decided to do the next best thing, which was um, do the interview anyway, but do it over the phone. Now, Haytham is in Dubai at home, um, and I'm currently at home as well, just outside of London. Now, seeing we on the subject of COVID-19 and the extent to which it has turned everybody's lives upside down, Let's kick off today's discussion with your experience, Haytham, um, over the last few months. Now, um, on a personal level, how are things um, with you at home in, uh, in Dubai with respect to COVID-19 and the lockdown um, across, um, across parts of the Middle East? Um, how is everybody coping with it? And to what extent has the lockdown been lifted? And um, you know, what, what has the experience been like uh, to date, Haytham? Thanks. Uh, hi, Victor. It's good talking to you. I know we meant to do this face-to-face, -face, but hopefully next time we'll, we'll get to do that. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. From, from my perspective, uh, I think Dubai is pretty much like New York. It's quite a vibrant uh, environment. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, people have, have a certain routines they go to, and uh, it's quite lively. So enforcing lockdown was quite, I think, a challenge uh, on personal on personal level for for many for myself and many of the people I uh, I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, we we used to traveling all around and we used to have a pretty much fully schedule. Now enforcing lockdown for people to sit at home and work from their offices yeah. uh, was 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 really challenging. Uh, but we're chugging along. I mean, Dubai sort of. Uh, Started opening up, I guess, uh, early last week. Yes. Uh, now, 30% of the first workforce can go back to the offices. Yes. And I was just on a call with one of my colleagues because I'm, I'm personally trying to delay that as much as possible out of concern for individuals' uh, uh, security. Uh, yes. Yes. But I, I, I think there's a good level of comfort with different places opening up now. Yes. Uh, whether in Dubai or in Europe. And people want to start going back into that, uh, into their routine. Yeah, yeah. And se really segregating work, home from work, right? Because yes. that's an important component, right? Yes, I, th I think it is. Um, but for, on a on a personal level, um, you know, we we've we've known each other for a long time, and I, I I know how much time you spend away from home in you know cities all around the world. It must have been a real shock to you, to you know to go from someone who is a the epitome of a globetrotter who is always traveling to basically being at home um, and not being able to leave the house for a, a, you know a certain amount of time how did you cope with that yeah definitely i mean uh i mean i look at it quite positively on on one aspect i mean from from work perspective i have to do the global trotting and i think trotting that and i think that's that's going to be essential and probably that's what but i would go back to once once things quiet down yeah on the outside it, it allowed me more time with the family right so actually going out on bike rides with my son yeah uh enjoying more family time getting to really know the neighbors i mean i've moved into my place like maybe three four years ago never really managed to get to know the neighbors yeah. before the lockdown was imposed but the airports were closed i mean 
I think life went back to the way it should be. You walk out, see the neighbors walking around, everybody with their kids, with uh, they're cordial, they're happy, friendly. Uh, yeah. Well, after that, the full lockdown was imposed, so nobody got to see anyone. But now we're going back to to a sort of a quasi lockdown phase where we can still go out, walk around in our community, go do yes. the essentials, and yes. uh, it's it's coming back. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, funny enough, actually, in 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 the UK as well, that, that's that's one thing that I've noticed, and I've heard that from a lot of people through video calls, etc. Is they are actually engaging people more. Funny enough, because they they don't that you can't take it for granted any longer. So you tend to um, stop, a, and you've got a little bit more time, perhaps, on your hands. So you stop and you chat to people. Obviously, uh, you you. You, you uh, observe social distancing rules, but you tend to get, try to get to know people just a little bit better because it seems as though everything is kind of a, just a little bit more stressful and you've got a bit more time. Um, which actually yeah. brings me on to the, my next question to you, and that is, um, so in terms, of, in terms of what you believe the long-term impact of the pandemic is likely to be on the financial services industry, do you think we're going to see less travel, for example, people just getting on um, a plane just because that is their mentality and that's the way it's always been so they just get on a plane to go and visit a client whereas perhaps they might do more video conferencing calls in the future or whatever what do you think the long-term implications will be for for our industry from a long-term perspective I think uh, contrary to a lot of common beliefs now and what you hear in the in the papers, I think it's I think it's gonna renormalize to where we we used to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a travel from a travel perspective, uh, it, it's it's a matter of habit. Uh, you stop things, you might ease back into it, but people that are need to run around the world, go see clients. There's yeah. there's a lot of value in that face to face interaction. Yes, and uh, and and it's important in really assessing people's true feedback. So whether it's a courtesy call to to a client, a major client, or uh, following up on a on the signature of some major major contract, it's Mm -hmm. important for me to be there. And I think a lot of my colleagues in the in that space uh, realize that. But it it will. Build up to that, so it's not—it's not, it's not going to be. I don't see it happening by end of this year. Yes. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of reliance on on video conferencing for sure, especially yes. for people that don't really really need to travel. Yes. And yes. We we've learned we've learned quite a bit, right, on things that could be delivered uh, through a video video chat versus what what needs to be done over a call versus what you need to do in person. Yeah, yeah, it's astonishing. Um, the the old um, um, the expression um, uh, necessity is a mother of invention. It's amazing how quickly we adapted to the new dispensation when when lockdown happened. You know, and people, yeah. you know, it was unthinkable for brokers and market makers and dealers and traders and stuff not to go into the office in London, for example, and New York, and yet it happened. You know, the, the 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 a lot of offices were in total lockdown, and so they had to make a plan. And that, of course, everybody did make a plan, and the sky didn't fall. But we we kind of made a we made a, the best of a bad situation. And it's amazing how quickly we we can adapt if it's if it's necessary in order to do so, right? 
yeah, yeah. We, we found it. We find it quite uh, surprising across different uh, 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 parts of businesses and financial institutions. I mean, we, we used to have lengthy discussions on why certain banks or need to adapt adapt the way they run operations to comply more with what's commonly known in the uh, uh, in in tier one institutions and yep. almost certainly it would be a better because people are more set on their ways and that's how they wanted to see things. They wanted the screen in a certain way, they wanted the process to flow, flow a certain way. Whether it's efficient or not is is was uh, was not important. They just used to doing it the same way. Now it's yeah. the, that discussion is happening much more rapidly. Mm-hmm. Just let us do our business. Let's get the results uh, uh, done. We have yes. to adapt. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, let's move on and, and talk a bit about um, a product that uh, SmartStream went to market with at the end of last year called SmartStream Air. Um, now, Air came out of the innovation lab in, in Vienna, and it's the first product to emerge from um, SmartStream Innovation Lab. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, SmartStream Air in terms of, of, of what it does very briefly so that uh, our audience members can get a sense of, um, of the product? And then also just um, let me know how things have gone with SmartStream Air over the last, let's say, six months, because it's about six months now since it was productized and, and launched. So um, so first part of that question is, is what does it do? And the second part is, uh, what has the response been like so far from um, the uh, the industry? Definitely. I mean, um, Air is SmartStream's artificial intelligence uh, reconciliation engine. It's one, we, we've been in the reconciliation uh, business for well well over 30 years now. But this is the first attempt that we have taken on transferring that to an AI-oriented cloud-native solution. So it, Mm-hmm. It's actually built for the cloud. It hasn't been, it's not adapted. It's not, uh, it's not a band-aid that's put on, a, on an old solution that, uh, uh, like a lot of the other solutions out there on the market are. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's all built on new technologies from, from, from the code it's being, the code that's got to be used, the technology it runs on, the software, hardware, uh, phenomenally. And, and it, it's so uh, uh, so easy to deploy that we really don't need any uh, PS consultants or any technical advisor. Just ready to roll out of the box uh, with, within hours. It yep. can be deployed at a client site. Right. And from what I understand, it also um, it massively reduces um, the period of time it takes to produce results, for example, for ad hoc reconciliations from hours or days down to literally seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we're running instances where we're looking at uh, uh, 500,000 records uh, on both sides or multiple parts or multiple yes. sites in, in less than five seconds. So it's, it's super fast. Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty is that it learns as as uh, it progresses. Um, so air so uh, has has been has been phenomenal phenomenal for us and for the industry. A lot of yeah. the clients that it's it's at our. Uh, I, I, I hate to be talking about ourselves and being boastful, but really it's 
some of the instances we're running, we're, uh, we're running at uh, tier one banks. I mean, you run it at one department and they say, yeah, can it be doing this? Could it do that? Our friends in the other department. So where we yeah. usually, we're, we're providing a solution for a specific reconciliation area. It's mm-hmm. rolling out from one department to another, to another, and to another. So it's a nice problem to have. Yeah. But I like yeah. my teams. <laughs> I like to be my teams usually yeah. uh, quick in, quick out, let's deliver and move on. So it sounds uh, like you are discovering, uh, uh, you're discovering additional use cases kind of on, on, as, the, as the product is rolled out. So other departments... Um, you know, they're, they're looking, they're, they're, they're new applications of the technology to different, to solve different problems, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Ac- yeah. Across, wherever reconciliation is required between different sets of records, yeah. uh, uh, even back office departments, finance departments, treasury, you name it, we're pretty much uh, uh, widen the scope on where it's, it, could be, it could be used. And we're, we're really discovering more and more areas as we roll on to clients. Okay. You talk to, because, I mean, tier one institutions that are global in nature, it's, it, it's like a Pandora's box, right? You, you go in, you address a problem in a certain place, and then they take you, they take you by the hand to the other area. So it, it's a very interesting uh, rollout. Good. Okay. Um, Hethan, let's move on and talk a little bit about cash and liquidity management. Obviously, this is something that is a major issue for um, not just capital markets firms, but literally any company right now that has been affected by um, COVID-19 and the fact that um, you know, their business has been disrupted to the extent that they literally have not been able to do business for, for huge numbers, maybe, I don't know, 75, 80, 90% of, of, of companies. And therefore, um, they, a lot of them are facing you know, huge cash liquidity management um, issues right now. So um, now SmartStream has a, a cash and liquidity management platform called TLM, uh, platform called TLM Cash and Liquidity Management. To what extent have you seen an interest um, from uh, financial services firms looking to get a much better handle on and, and around the transparency and the better management of cash and liquidity within the business? It, it, uh, it definitely started out pre-corona, I would say. Yep. Someone, it could, it could use, we could see a, a spike in, in demand uh, somewhere after Cybos, right after Cybos, and then it just rolled on. Now, mm-hmm. the COVID-19 is just uh, uh, augmented that, that demand, uh, especially institutions that are working on global basis. Uh, some of its operations are running, some are not, and they want to really understand their cash and liquidity positions. Yeah. Uh, stress testing, for example, under, for, for, uh, under our CLM solution is, is in, in peak demand. We're, we're, uh, uh, and globally, so whether you talk to clients in Saudi versus the guys in New York or London, it's just that they need to understand the quality of their assets and uh, how they stand the litmus test, I guess, the regulators require. Right. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, the final question to you. So we've we've covered quite a bit, um, but the final question is: th- there, there appears to be a lot of anecdotal evidence, certainly from the 
conversations I've been having with capital markets firms, that firms on both sides of the industry are currently scrutinizing their operational landscapes with a view to outsourcing all those non-core functions. So for example, for a, an asset manager is, you know, it's, it's primary responsibility, it's reason for being is to, to manage people's money, right? So all the other kind of auxiliary functions that it runs, that it might be running in-house, there appears to be um, evidence to suggest that they are looking to to um, outsource everything else that is not core to its kind of uh, its reason for being. Um, is that something that you're seeing right now? Um, so, and to what extent might we be on the cusp of another really big outsourcing sto stroke managed services boom? Well, what are you hearing? Uh, we're witnessing uh, hands-on, Victor. I mean, some of the discussions we were having, usually our managed services contract is a lengthy, like six to eight month discussion and uh, till, you, yeah. till you agree the SLAs and the number of people and the transition plan happens. Now it's moving to a two to three month uh, time span where everything, banks understand what they need and uh, they're willing to work what we could, with what we could provide versus what uh, what they need to do. And I, I think this is, this is growing, I mean, uh, my managed services offering has been uh, growing phenomenally over the last two, four years. But the, the, the hockey stick is run, I say, yep. towards the end of last year versus and the first quarter of this year is, is phenomenal. Uh, we cannot find enough people to recruit to fill up positions. It's, uh, yep. uh, it's, it's along and compounded with the challenges of, like, uh, of COVID-19 where people are working from home, how do you bring them up to par and yes. uh, provide them with the equipment necessary. It's, it's a whole host of challenges, but it's been very interesting on uh, how we were able to cope and, and uh, meet that demand. And I think Good. it's going to be the trend, uh, definitely. I mean, on many aspects. First, we are better at handling our own solutions. So yes. from a people's perspective, uh, you don't have to worry about commingling of staff. We have that. We have a good infrastructure for uh, to allow people to work from home. So we we a switch of a, as easy as a switch of a button, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Where for financial institutions that are not used to having larger teams working remotely, it's it's more challenging, right? Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, um, Haytham, uh, thank you. I've taken up um, uh, enough time of yours today. Um, you might be able to get out. Um, it's, what is it? It's uh, you five or six hours ahead of us in Dubai. So you might be able to get out for a, a bike ride with your son this evening um, if, I, if I let you go yeah. now. But um, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. Um, stay safe. Um, and I look forward to catching up with you when you get back um, to London, whenever that might be. It's obviously not going to be anytime soon, but um, w when it does happen, I look forward to catching up with you. Thanks again for your time, and I do appreciate it. And I look forward to, uh, to chatting in future. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. Take care and please okay. stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye.